Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by Aidan Rosewell. Now, Aidan is the host of two podcasts. Um, One is called Room, which is a fictional interview podcast, and I think the first couple of episodes are coming out soon, Um, and Days of My Life podcast, which is an audio drama, but it's like an autobiography of Aidan's life, and some of the things that he's experienced are crazy. So this chat is quite an interesting one. Um, The subject matter makes it sound like it's a very dark, deep chat. And it is deep in a lot of senses, but it's also light-hearted in the way that myself and Aiden talk about it. And Aiden is very, very open about these things. Uh, And the way he speaks about them and things in a very open and honest way, it really means that this is such an enjoyable podcast to listen to, even given the subject matter. Now, I'm not saying if it was deep and dour and upsetting that it wouldn't be enjoyable to listen to but it's it's a slightly different kind of podcast that you'd expect so i just want to preface that before saying the subject matter before we kind of get into things so the chat actually starts with us talking about days of our life which is a podcast that i really recommend to anyone um i started listening to it sort of to research listening to or speaking with aiden uh, and i got hooked i've listened to uh, all of them and they're absolutely incredible the production's really good and the way he talks about things really good the the way the story is brought out it, it's really really interesting so i really recommend people check that out um but so basically what happens in his journey a lot of it is talking about his struggles with drug addiction um there's a time where he overdosed on amphetamine which he speaks about in this podcast um he's got a three-part uh, called uh, lost and found at the end uh, toward the newer episodes as of releasing this um lost and found part one two and three and that's about him going to india and um, where he'd never been abroad before he went to india by himself uh, when he was just a young man to try and kind of find himself in a way and he went to like a sort of a meditation place he goes to uh, lots of different places in india to try and kind of find himself so it's really interesting hearing about his uh, journey of self-discovery in a sense um, he talks about sort of why he got into drugs, why he thinks that sort of he got into drugs as well as all the difficulties that he had in his life leading up to that point. Um, we speak about some of the stigmas surrounding drug users and addicts, uh, the discussion between sort of legalization, decriminalization, sort of what can be good and bad about that, you know, whether cannabis is a gateway drug and loads of other things in that sort of realm. So it's quite a drug heavy discussion con- uh, conversation, but obviously that's because of Aiden's life, especially what he talks about in Days of My Life uh, is a lot around his drug use and essentially the effects that it had on him uh, me and Aiden do also talk about you know Aiden's uh, mother passed away from breast cancer when he was uh, I think about 18 and uh, my dad obviously passed away when I was 19 of cancer uh, so we do talk about that as a little bit in there as well just in case anyone uh, as a little trigger warning just in case anyone uh, would be upset about that Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about all the sort of stuff we talk about in this podcast because I couldn't do it justice in this intro. So I want everyone to kind of get in there, listen to it, love it, and then go check out the podcasts, which I have left uh, links in the description for that. Uh, Just before the chat gets started, there'll be a quick promo for Heather Vickery's The Brave Files. I've had Heather on the show before. I think I'm going to be, uh, I did an episode with her a little while ago. I think that's going to be airing soon-ish. And her podcast is very similar to Genuine Chit Chat, except it speaks specifically to really inspiring people. Uh, So with my show you know i talk to people about movies video games drug addictions podcasts anything and everything heather's is a lot more about the individual stories and you know the people there's some people in there there's a gentleman from uganda who was helping give passage for lgbtq people and um, there's transgender people there's people who've left certain religions like loads of really interesting people so I, I if you like this show and you like the more inspirational sort of uplifting aspect of genuine chit chat go check out the brave files because it is incredible Anyway, that's enough from me, guys, before I ramble on and just talk my way through any new listeners wanting to listen to the actual chat. So um, I'll be back at the end after the part one of our chat um, to talk about what's coming up in part two and what to expect if you uh, yeah, subscribe to Genuine Chit Chat and other sort of things and such like. So, you know, like on the usual social media channels, share, review, all that usual podcast jazz. And uh, I really appreciate all you guys listening. So thanks a lot for that. And uh, I'll talk to you at the end. This is Heather Vickery. I'm the host of the Brave Files podcast. The Brave Files is an interview show that shares stories of real people who choose to live courageously every day. Each week, we introduce you to a new person that has decided to make brave choices despite all of their fears. From being a social justice warrior to murder in self-defense to starting a business that allows you to travel the world and everything in between. There are a million ways to choose bravely each and every day. 
We also feature a charity of the week and learn actionable ways to help make the world better together. The Brave Files provides insight, encouragement, and connection on a deeply human level. So if you're looking for a podcast that's compelling, engaging, and inspiring, check out The Brave Files. You'll find us anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am joined today by Aidan Rosewell. Um, Aidan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on. Um, and, you know, we started speaking on Twitter a little bit, and I found out that you have two podcasts, um, one that's sort of just starting and one that's been going for a little bit longer. Um, so do you want to sort of introduce yourself and uh, introduce your podcasts? Yeah. Um, thanks, Mike, very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I've got two podcasts, um, one which is more established, which is called Days of My Life. Uh, I suppose I describe it as a sort of drama um, autobiography slash memoir. Um, it's drama in the sense that it contains drama, but um, it's all true. Uh, everything that happens in the show actually happened to me. Um, personally, it was a very therapeutic experience. It's the first time that I delved into doing podcasts and putting audio out there. Um, it all came to me in a moment um, last summer, summer before. Um, I'd been listening to podcasts for a long time and enjoying them. And I thought, you know, that's something I want to do. Um, so I think there's about uh, 14 episodes out, something like that. And it kind of starts in the 1990s uh, on the day that Princess Diana died. Um, that was a, a kind of turning point for me in my life. Um, I overdosed on drugs. I uh, fell out of a car and sort of passed out and was abandoned by the people that I was with. And uh, through a, a really nice sort of act of kindness, this guy kind of came and scooped me up, found me by the side of the road, took me back to his house and sort of nursed me back to life a little bit. Um, I managed to get back to my house and was kind of feeling horrendous. I'd basically taken uh, about eight grams of amphetamine by accident. I thought oh, wow. I was, I thought I was taking, um, took about one and a half to two grams of what I thought was amphetamine. It was actually base amphetamine. So it's like much, much stronger. Mm. Um, Before it gets cut so, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I was on my way to a rave and I was kind of getting ready to have my usual kind of Saturday night out. I was 16 years old. Um, and I had this kind of turning point, uh, turning point where um, I watched in the small hours of the morning that um, Princess Diana had been hurt in this car crash and I was sort of smoking weed and trying to sort of ease myself off this kind of overdose. And I was like blacking out and waking up, smoking bongs. And then it, the, the news changed to Princess Diana, not injured. She's now dead. I had this moment where I was like, God, you know, <laughs> that really is like a terrible thing to happen to someone. And I thought, I don't ever want to end up like this again. I don't want to be sort of left by the side of the road. And I was involved in lots of kind of dodgy groups and not gangs, but kind of networks of people where I was sort of supplying drugs and sort of dealing drugs a bit to try and fund my own drug habits. And uh, also a big part of the show is my mum who died of breast cancer. I, I sort of quit that kind of lifestyle to spend time with her before she died. Um, so that's the beginning of the episode. And then it goes all the way through kind of stuff in my childhood up to I'm 22 years old and I end up having this kind of epiphany on a beach in India where I realized that there's, something within me that I perhaps been running away from and hadn't been like harnessing. Um, so I like to think that it's a little bit of a journey. Um, it's been reviewed by a few people. Um, one of my favorite reviews of it is, um, it's drip feed depression, <laughs> 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 which, which, you know, when you put stuff out there, you know, um, it's hard, particularly when it's you, mm. uh, and other people get to listen to your life. But, um, I saw that review and I thought, well, yeah, it kind of was. 
Um, so it's a bit of a challenge for me because as I've done them, I kind of days of my life, I, there's only actually maybe one or two episodes that I listen to. And I think oh, I really like that episode. Hmm. Uh, some of them, I think they were just kind of therapeutic for me to get out there. Hmm. Um, but it's got a small kind of fan base and people have messaged me and said some really nice, kind things about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's on a break at the moment. It's going to come back and it's going to be much more interesting. Um, because it's difficult myself, I'm 38 years old and I'm sort of talking about stuff that happened 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm a very different person to the 16 year old kind of drug abusing, chaotic lifestyle, kind of grief ridden late teens. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm married now and I have a daughter, I have a good career. I haven't done drugs for a long time and mm. I don't have any desire to. Um, so it's been slightly frustrating because I'm ready to start doing some more stuff with that show uh, that is going to be very different to the first half of the show, if you like. Mm. I mean, you've summed that up absolutely incredibly there. I mean, I, you know, when you messaged me on Twitter, I did my usual of just, you know, um, normally if I have a, a guest on or someone who could potentially be a guest, I'll, if they have a podcast, I'll look into that a little bit. If they have some music or whatever, you know, I'll kind of do some degree of research and uh, kind of go from there. Um, but with your show, I listened to, um, I think the one of the ones uh, you recommended was the beginner's guide to being an atheist, and then one of the other one was the misadventures of the cocaine kid, uh, and I listened to those two um, as well as dys- dyslexic idols, and I was like, this is absolutely amazing, and so I just listened to all of them, um, except I missed the first four. Um, but apart from that, which I'm going to go back to um, after we've uh, spoken of things, I've really, really enjoyed like your show, and I'm going to be recommending it to more people. And what uh, I was surprised by was how it is quite like an audio drama as you kind of put it like it's obviously autobiographical when you speak at the start you kind of you explain it a bit but you put music along with it which and uh, some sound effects which does actually really help with the immersion and things but also with some of the other voices and things do you do all of those voices or do you get like friends or other people you kind of vaguely know to do them um there's an episode that you may have missed. Uh, that's my fault. There was a glitch on my uh, feed, so it wasn't showing the first four episodes. So I think episode four is called The Treble, and um, that's about the night that uh, I'm a lifelong Manchester United fan. Um, it was in between my mum dying and um, my mum's funeral that Manchester United won the European Cup. Hmm. Um, and me and my brother, I have my brother Hugh on, and we sort of talk about that night. Um, so he's there. Uh, apart from voices, there's a few samples. So I sampled Malcolm X for the Dyslexic Idols one. I sampled Gandhi, mm. Martin Luther King. They were kind of uh, heroes for me. I, I I dropped out of school when I was 11 years old. Didn't have any sort of positive male role models in my life. And uh, just by a lucky accident, one of my mum's kind of hippie friends gave me a copy of Malcolm X. Um, and I can remember watching that. It blew my mind. Um, he just became my instant kind of hero. And um, I I think because he was sort of an outsider, an underdog, because he was discriminated against, but he was fighting for something, it kind of mirrored how I saw my own little struggle. Mm. I sort of dropped out of school and I I knew that I had something to give to the world, but I didn't know what. And I loved his kind of by any means necessary kind of attitude. Mm. Um, So I think... I had one friend appear in it uh, as a police officer in The Adventures of the Cocaine Kid. He's not a professional actor. Um, I had um, a fellow podcaster called Phil Osher who does his own show um, called Affair and the the Dark Saga. And he played uh, Dan, uh, a reoccurring uh, drug dealer who wasn't a very pleasant sort of positive um, uh, role in my life. And then I think the last voice, there's a couple more voice samples. So I sampled George Bush. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> yeah. I just managed to find that clip of, you know, the address he gave after nine 11, because mm. one of the episodes is based around nine 11. Yeah. Um, and kind of when you look at nine 11 back and he's coming on and he's talking about, you know, as I walk through the shadow of death, um, fear not, you know, I'm not, you're not alone. Mm. Uh, it really kind of tied in well with the narrative of the story for me because the narrative of that story for me was I, I need to get out of England. I need to get away from Western culture. Uh, hence lost and found being the, the last sort of three episodes. Um, yeah. And the last, the last sample is um, 
a real kind of great male role model figure in my life that I found when I was in India, which is uh, Richard Albert, who's known as Ramdas. He's this kind of spiritual guru, I guess, uh, uh, but not in the kind of cultish kind of, you know, Tambaghini's kind of yeah. guru, you know, he's uh, a legitimate kind of yogi who went on pilgrimages to India and he dedicated his life to helping people that are poor. And um, some of his kind of audio, uh, ironically, it was audio I found in India, these tapes really helped me sort of start turning my life around. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're the samples of um, people that appear in the show. Wonderful. And uh, just before we go off, because there's a hundred things to unpack there, which I do want to get into, um, you've got one other show as well, um, which is kind of in the midst of uh, being launched at the moment. Uh, do you want to just briefly uh, talk about that? I'll include the description in the show notes yeah. as well. Um, so the new uh, fiction podcast, it's going to be launching in November 2019. There's a small trailer out as we speak. Um, it's going to be a, a fiction show. Um, and it's it's a kind of it's a bit of a mess of, of, of stories. There is a very small narrative being that I play myself. I'm this person who's locked in this room that is floating just above the planet earth. I don't know why I'm there. I don't know how to get out. I don't know what reason I am there for. And uh, people appear in this room. Um, so Joe Brogan, who's obviously everyone knows, um, who, um, we're talking about there he peers and starts trying to do his podcast and we sort of have this story that i hope kind of leaves people entertained we've gone sort of 10 minute journeys um so um that's the the basis of it that uh, really it's very lazy writing bunny i realized <laughs> that i didn't want to write any backstory or anything i just wanted to give myself a situation where i could write characters that had a lifespan of around 10 minutes and in that 10 minutes i can do whatever I want with them. And then when I'm finished with them, I can just kill them off. And um, that felt like fun to me and such a good thing to do after days of my life because it's a nice distance to go into the fictional world from the very real world of my life. I was going to say, it's it's two, the two podcasts are quite ironically... Um, uh, the one that is fictitious and the one that is real, it seems like the, the stand is to swap them because obviously you've got an audio drama, which is a true stories autobiographical, and you've got an interview show, which the interviewees are fictional, whereas obviously normally it'd be the other around. Most people's audio dramas are fictional and most people's interview shows are real people. So it's quite interesting that you, you kind of uh, flip those around. Yeah, I well, I, I wanted to play. Uh, I wanted to play with the ideas of what would I do if I was stuck in a room and this person just appears there? Like, what would I do with them if I didn't know that they were about to appear? They didn't know. And we had 10 minutes together. What could we explore in 10 minutes? Um, so not all of the episodes follow that kind of interview path, um, but they're kind of, some of them are just sort of monologues and some of them are like Rocket Girl, for example, is just this this kind of, a young woman who's kind of talking into a dictaphone to her parents. She's going out to um, to do something, to explore something, and um, the, the the tale kind of enrolls uh, in sort of ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, because I um, you sent me uh, to links to listen to the uh, the first episode of the room, and I, I thought they were incredibly entertaining. And one thing I liked a lot about your podcast, uh, Days of My Life, is with with audio dramas especially you know there are a lot that are quite long or quite varying length and things but yours were you know people listen to my show each episode's about an hour long sometimes a bit more whereas days of my life generally they're around 10 to 15 minutes and it means that like on my commute to work i don't for like an hour drive i don't always necessarily want to listen to a podcast for a whole hour so you can listen to yours and i can listen to like two or three episodes and go eh, the last 10 15 minutes kind of fancy listen to music or something like that and i think that the the format that you've done them in the way you've done them is really they all go together really really well and i was i was generally just surprised how how good they sound and how immediately hooked i was like not not because of anything to do with the show but normally with audio dramas or other sort of podcasts it takes me a while to really sort of get into them in a sense but but i thought yours were were amazing so you mentioned that you did them you started doing it sort of last year was there was there something specific that kind of triggered it there was like an event that triggered you doing it or was it just kind of in the background because you mentioned it slightly earlier in the chat was it something that was kind of in the background a little bit for a while and you just kind of finally brought it forward last summer or was there something else i think really uh, it was in a moment um 
for a long time, because of anyone that listens to the show will see that I had a lot going on. I was a kind of teenage carer. My mum died. I dropped out of school. I had quite prolific drug use. Um, so even now in my 30s, some of that time was kind of just a bit hazy in the back of my head. Hmm. And I would kind of find myself sort of ruminating on it and thinking about it. And in this moment, I thought, you know, the best way to kind of get this a bit straight for me would be to try and map it a little bit. So, you know, I know it's a cheesy line, but this, that show really helped me more mm. than it probably will help other people because for me now, I've stopped feeling that way about my past. And I think, oh, right, it's there now. You know, I can mm. press a, a button and I can hear what um that day was like in my life or what that time in my life was like so it helped make it into a kind of linear thread rather than a kind of collection of thoughts because often you know with trauma and drug abuse and things like that um the challenge really is to integrate all of those things into one kind of comfortable state and i think still even a couple of years ago i was feeling like kind of like I was two different people or three different people that there was that part of my life that I didn't really like to think about that much because I'm like, you are not there now, hmm. but I realized I needed to go back and I needed to kind of name some things and, and get it out there. So, um, like I said, it's very much for me. <laughs> if, if, if other people get something out of it, then that is wonderful. And it's nice to hear that you're entertained. And the last thing I'd say is, Absolutely. Um, the idea with Room podcast as well is to do 10 minutes. I I thought about this a lot and maybe it's me, my attention span, uh, my uh, kind of, uh, I try and make shows that I would want to listen to. Hmm. And there's some great audio dramas out there that I could list off that I really like. Um, for me, 20 minutes is the max that I can fully give to a, an audio drama mm. if i go to an episode and it's an hour long i think I, i'm probably not going to listen to all of this at the moment yeah it's quite a big uh, ask in a sense because obviously generally you want to listen you want to be able to stop listening when the creators want you to stop listening rather than you listening to it. if it's an hour long and you listen to half of it and then you stop and then you go back into it like a few days or a week later or whatever and then you've kind of half forgotten what the first half is it can kind of threw you off a bit but what you did with uh, lost and found which is the three-part most recent episodes on um, uh, days of my life it it stops at certain points so it, it's very easy to when i was listening to it to com compartmentalize each part by part so it was very much in my head the journey was in sort of three parts so i found with the way you did that was was incredible and I found that that if anyone's going to listen to the show i obviously list recommend listening from the start and going through all of them but the lost and found it's not only was it thrilling the whole time, but one thing I liked about your show, and it was especially heightened in Lost and Found and Dyslexic Idols, um, was that, they're the episode names, uh, was the, for listeners, obviously not you, <laughs> Aiden, I know you're aware of these, um, but the uh, the perspectives, it, you brought you brought forward perspectives that, obviously everyone lives their life differently and has different reasons for doing X, Y, Z, but obviously what you speak about in uh, days of my life is obviously you're struggling with drug issues and uh, with your mother passing away and lots of these other things. And it's uh, that journey to kind of self-fulfillment in a way. And with the Indian one, um, the way you went to India, it was hearing your rationale was very, very interesting, especially because, you know, you even mentioned going to, a, a, was it a monastery or was it some sort of meditation? Um, it was an, an ashram. Uh, an ashram. Yeah, it was an ashram. Um, uh, there was a guy called Bhagwan Das and um, a few other kind of famous kind of yogi uh, kind of um, spiritual people. Mm. Um, and yeah, as the episode described, it wasn't the right place for me. Yeah, and you found uh, you're, you're further on down the line. I found that was really interesting because a lot of people are like, I want to go self-fulfillment. And a lot of people would think, you know, go to an Eastern culture, go to some sort of meditation retreat for three weeks, you know, saying namaste a lot, and then you'll be fine. Well, see, you didn't find that. And I think that's really important for people to realize that there's not a one-size-fits-all solution to people's problems. And that's what I think Days of My Life does really well. When when I was in India, I used to call them phony holies. Um, <laughs> so you'd meet, um, there's a woman that stands out in my mind that I tried to kind of do the voice for, this American.
second one and you know and after sort of sitting in this kind of meditation circle and stuff and talking to her you know it was clear to me she was talking to me and she was like so blissed out mm. and so kind of high on on this escapism yeah uh, of like you know we're here and i was like yeah but you know wherever you came from still exists and that's what i'm thinking about is how do i go back how do i go back to england and kind of face all of the streets that i grew up on my family my friends my future life how do i face that with some kind of hope and some kind of optimism or some kind of faith or strength or whatever you want to call it um but it's still there now you know you can go to thailand and you can go to india and you know all those guys now uh that were there now they're all back in england and they're all life coaches and they're all yogi uh yoga teachers or you know intense vegans or not not i've got anything against vegans but that there's <laughs> they've kind of tried to make it into a business now and they've they've tried to sort of transport that eastern culture and the the kind of the wisdom that they learned and then try to make it into a business, which to me is like, well, that that's shows the point, you know, of what I, what I got from over uh, in India was I was struck by poverty. And then that made me really go, right. That's, that's the thing that there's people in this world that don't have an opportunity and I have got an opportunity uh, and that was way more profound than any kind of spiritual practice or, um, you know, meditation or fasting or anything like that. Um, that gave me some hope. I was like, I've got something more than a lot of other people have. So I, I almost kind of put instant pressure on me uh, or instant motivation to go and do something with my life. And I hadn't, I hadn't got that in England. I, I felt like I was kind of in a rat race and surrounded by people it was like you know get a good job make enough money and i was like it's got to be more to life than that and thankfully i found something like that in india and um it's i think it mentioned that in the podcast um briefly but um how, how long were you in india for in total uh, it was around six months oh wow um, okay i didn't realize it was that long I thought, oh, that's insane as in, in in a good way how long were you at the like for people who haven't obviously listened to the podcast just if you want to say in brief you got there you obviously did the um the sort of yogi meditation part and then from there you went on the train and things which you speak about in uh, i think part two and then you get to the beach and that's where you kind of had this for lack of a better word epiphany so do you want to speak about that a bit more yeah well um i spent time in Pune, um which is northern india and that was the place that i was kind of recommended to go to and um you know, I'd done stuff before I went, like I went to local Buddhist centers and stuff. Mm. And that can be really like crushing. <laughs> if you're a guy that uh, you're looking to kind of expand your mind or to gain some perspective, you know, I used to talk to this um, Buddhist monk about, um, you know, how, how long does it take to get enlightened? And he said, <laughs> basically, uh, meditate kind of 12 hours a day. And maybe in kind of 10,000 lifetimes, you might achieve enlightenment. And I was like, don't really i'm not going with that and <laughs> i found a lot of buddhism kind of a little bit it's like just pushing stuff away it's like i have this thing of you know i like feelings you know i like being in the struggle i like being in the mix you know this sort of karmic stuff and this kind of you know attachment is a form of suffering i like, fuck that doesn't sit well with me mm. um uh, so I, I experienced that kind of again coming up against that 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 wall of organised kind of religious practice, mm. and seeing that a lot of people were just kind of sheep, you know, following the shepherd. And um, so I, I gave that a go for a few weeks, and then I sort of decided that I could make my time last a lot longer there if I just went ultra cheap. If I just went to a beach place, um, that's what I had in mind. I'm going to go to a beach place. I'm going to live as poorly as I can, and that's going to buy me time. And that was the best thing that I did was by going to this beautiful, I mean, it, it's heartbreaking now because it's massively touristy, but back when I went, it was still fairly unknown. And hmm. um, this small uh, fishing village called Arambal. And I kind of integrated into their way of life there. You know, um, I speak about it in the podcast. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go and play chess with these waiters at the local cafe. I'd play football on the beach with the kids. I'd spend time in the sea. I'd rock in my hammock and I found these 
brilliant kind of talks by this guy Ramdas, who, uh, like I said, I felt like he was talking directly to me. You know, he was saying, "Look, you know, the game in life is not to get high. It's not to escape. It's it's to be free within it." You know, he, he said, "You know, everyone armors our hearts. We armor our hearts because." things are painful when you have empathy for other people it can blow you away and you freak out and you think i can't handle all of this emotion i can't handle that there's suffering around me mm. but the, the key is is to live your life and not push that away and to live with you know kind of the darker side of your life or what you see around you but integrate that into a way where you're you're living with it and that made sense to me and i started to do that in arambol to the point where I was almost like Forrest Gump. Um, there's a film, the Forrest Gump, you know, when he finds out that his mum's sick and mm. he's on the boat and he sort of just jumps off the boat and starts swimming. Mm. Um, I had a moment in India when I couldn't get back to England quick enough. I had a plan. Uh, I thought I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to college or I'm going to start volunteering somewhere. And I, I more or less did that. I started volunteering and that, that led to my career that's been going on for like 17 years now. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, it's an incredible journey. And as I said, I, I implore anyone, everyone to go and check out um, Days of My Life. I'll put a link in the description and what um, whatnot. Um, I want to ask as well, um, do you, have you traveled much since going to India? Because I think you said in the, in the podcast that India was the first time you'd been abroad. So have yeah. you been uh, away much since then? Not not really in a, a traveling kind of sense. Um, I've been around Europe a bit. I'd still mm. want to go to America at some point when I'm older. Um, I want to go and explore America because I've always had a, a pull to go and see some of the famous sites over there. Mm. Um, but no, I, 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 haven't, uh, I haven't done any more sort of pilgrimages or, you know, um, going off to sort of find myself or anything like that no. <laughs> yeah well i suppose the, the one that you did uh, worked out really well for you it turned uh, things around quite a lot and I, I want to ask as well with the with the, the drug use and that sort of thing what in the in the show you say it but obviously there's um your parents divorced and then your mother got really ill um and things so how and obviously you um you didn't go to school as, as well when you were uh, younger after like 11. So it's well, 11, 12. So, so it's like what with the drug use and things like that, do you think that was primarily due to you not being at school? Do you think it was due to your parents being, do you think it was due to like a wide birth of things? Is there something that you kind of primarily uh, attribute to that sort of line of your life that you went down essentially? Um, there's a combination of things that I mean, um, you have to remember that this was sort of 1990s, mid 1990s, early 1990s. So drugs at that point in England were very cool. Uh, and, you know, famously you had um, Noel Gallagher out of Oasis saying, you know, drugs is just as normal as doing a cup of tea yeah. and saying, you know, all politicians do it. And there was this kind of feeling that you know it was about the free party scene and raves and kind of summer of love that there was a more of a sort of social acceptance to doing drugs and experimenting um i found myself in a situation where i was quite socially isolated i had kind of emotional trauma uh, and when i um started um doing drugs it was because i was looking for something I was looking for something outside of my kind of boring existence. I didn't go to school. I had like a lot of kind of imagination and emotional energy in me. And I found when I started experimenting with drugs that I could kind of, um, I could stay with it more. And it made me very creative. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds like a kind of, you know, like an ad line for gateway drugs and so on. <laughs> but it did, it quickly escalated. I, you know, I started doing weed i started drinking and then i started when i started doing cocaine i think that was um when things kind of went to the next stage and then doing ecstasy was um you know I'll, I'll be absolutely honest about it i still look back at doing ecstasy as some of the best nights of my life hmm. you know the feelings that i had with ecstasy with my friends and dancing to music it was like i discovered um I discovered a different way of living, yeah. you know, I felt completely kind of, um, at one with the world and with the music 
connecting with the people. And no one had told me that that life was possible. <laughs> yeah. no, one had, no one had told me that, hey, you can get these feelings and you can meet these people and this music and you can carve out a way of life. But what you don't realize, particularly when you're younger, is that that is actually taking a cost on you because before you know it, all your money's going on it. And then you're like waking up and panicking and thinking, shit, I haven't got any. And mm. then obviously your mental health starts to be affected, your relationships. Um, and f- for me, by the time that I realized I was fully invested, I was, um, you know, when I was 16, I had a drug habit that was like 300 pounds a week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah that was, um, you know, sort of smoking weed every day, doing bits and bobs in the week. But I was, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I could spend 200, 300 pounds just sort of getting it absolutely as high as a kite. <laughs> mm. Um, in the, in the same respect that like, I kind of, um, went off to India, you know, I, I was, I was looking for something else. Um, no, so I guess that there's a few factors there, you know, um, if you're in emotional pain, you look for a way to get out of emotional pain. And it's natural. It's a human response, isn't it? You know, mm, you, know 100% you agree. cut yourself if you want a plaster, but if you're feeling anxious or uh, depressed, then you, you find out, oh, I take this and I don't feel like that anymore. That's kind of how it started. It's just as basic as that for me, really. Um, yeah. Well, that's very, very honest of you. And I appreciate you uh, saying that. I mean, with the, with this show, obviously, uh, I am not famous enough for anything or famous at all, rather, to be able to delve into, let's say, be as honest with some of my past as I would like to be due to me having a job and things potentially happening. But to say it without saying it, um, I've said in the podcast before that when I was in college, I had smoked uh, cannabis at least once. Uh, I'm not going to divulge how much or anything like that. But when my dad died, um, which is when I was 19, and he was ill for 18 months before that, um, there I did self-medicate. Uh, not intentionally like, I feel rubbish, I need this to make myself feel better. It was around that point in my life, I came across some individuals who uh, were involved with uh some things that make you intoxicated that maybe you can't buy from a shop if we put it in that way yeah um and there were i i did go for a little phase especially when dad died and i didn't realize i was doing it until you know after the fact um but there were points where you know it wasn't quite as bad but you know every other week i was drinking and smoking and some other stuff as well and i did get into a little bit of a cycle i, I wasn't quite as uh I wasn't in it in the same way that you were necessarily, but it was that still, I feel like shit. I'm not really processing my pain properly. I'm kind of not facing, like when my dad died, I didn't cry for like six months. And I'm not saying people mm. have to cry, but I I wasn't, I didn't realize I was holding it back until I realized I was. And, you know, I, I had to cry about it um, six months later after I spoke to someone about it in depth a bit more and it kind of went from there. But even after then, for a good year and a half, I was out on the weekends doing illicit, substances and it was it was doing a thing so it like excuse me for certain ones for example you know like you mentioned ecstasy one of the things ecstasy does it makes you feel absolutely amazing it floods your system of serotonin and you, you know you feel great and happy and all that sort of stuff and then the following day you're on the come down which is obviously your serotonin levels regulating again um to make it mm. a normal level but to do that you have you normally feel rubbish because you have the huge amount from the night before like you know candle that burns twice as bright and then you have to kind of your body eases up a lot so you feel like shit and then what do you do with that well then you take something else or you drink or you do this to kind of get you through the come down of one thing you do something else and it can be a very easy cycle to get into and um, with me when i was in that i was i wasn't even realizing it was a problem because i was doing it as i say once every two weeks or so or once a week um on the weekend it was affecting my job or anything like that um and seemingly and i i seemed in my head i was like it's not a problem and then when i stopped doing it i was like oh wait no every single weekend uh, if I'm not doing these things, that's all I'm looking forward to. Like all I want to do when I'm at work is I'm just thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home and do this. And, you know, I can't wait for the weekend. And I stopped to kind of enjoy things as much because I wasn't on these things. And it's a very easy cycle to go into. And I feel like especially individuals who are more uh, economically uh, vulnerable or emotionally vulnerable and things. I mean, my dad passing away was awful, but apart from that aspect of my life, I was generally in air quotes normal. So I can see how those sorts of things can really appeal to people in more difficult uh, 
times? And did you find that some of the people you were associating with and hanging out with who were also doing these kind of things were in similar either economical or uh, emotional or any other sort of uh, vulnerable space as yourself? Um, it was kind of it was kind of hard because I I was in a group of of, of people and then sort of other broad groups of people and I. I always felt this kind of dirty sort of shame that I never tried to let on really that I knew that I was like fully addicted uh, and that this was my way of life. And I was terrified in, in a lot of ways because I thought I, I can't see how I'm going to stop doing this. Hmm. Um, so it used to be quite annoying to me that I'd meet other people who could just sort of recreationally use drugs and, um, and then sort of continue with their lives to me it become my life uh, it was out of control you know that's the the nature of addiction is when you know you you can't control your behavior uh, it's and that, that's the place that i was at um and i kind of knew that very clearly and i thought this is going to be quite a long term battle for me um i mean thankfully you know i i haven't used drugs for a long time mm. uh, i don't really drink that much anymore um but it took me a while to to get off i think i think the the i mean the sad thing is is through that group of people i know that there's some some of those people that did get stuck in and did carry on and they did develop mental health problems mm -hmm. proper you know psychosis and not the inability to actually hold down a job or relationships um I always, despite how hardcore I was, I, I had this kind of burning drive because I knew that I was fully in the grips of addiction. I was like, this isn't going to beat me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have to find something else. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually that, that happened for me. I started to find other things in my life that could replace that. But um, Despite it's kind of bittersweet because despite being able to describe them as great experiences, ones that I probably wouldn't change, I also realized that I missed a lot of normal life mm. and a lot of kind of normal relationship kind of stuff or building for the future. Mm. Um, but at that time, you know, my personality was very much this kind of my number one thought was, you know, I don't want to be in pain. So I'd, I'd probably shy away from kind of normality in, in you know, structure and routine. I, I was very much a kind of, you know, fuck off. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this my way. You're either, you're either with me or you're not, you know, but if you're that kind of guy, you don't really attract people that are going to be helpful or in it for the long term for your benefit. They're not really bothered about you as a person. They just, mm. you know, uh, there was a lot of networking and, um, kind of, I'll sort you out. You sort me out. And, you know, this is all about keeping the party going uh, and when you decide to leave the party, yeah, you, you kind of say goodbye to most of the people that you know in that scene. Mm, yeah, I understand that. And it is, it is one of those things as well, because looking back um, to draw parallels with a degree of my life is that when I was younger and when I was doing these sort of, you know, these things along with drinking and smoking and everything else, it was the nights were undeniably like 99% of them were undeniably incredible and loads of fun. And, you know, you have a great time, but I'd find a lot of the time I would just forget that like 98% of them the next day, because it would be like when you're on, it's like when you get really, really drunk, if people haven't indulged in the other sort of uh, less legal endeavors. If, when you get really, really drunk and you have a great night, a lot of the time you're like, yeah, that, that was really fun. Yeah, what'd you do? Well, I can only remember up till like 9.30, maybe 10. And then I can't remember anything. And I was apparently up till 3 a.m. And I found that almost every one of those experiences were like that. I can remember like little snippets, bits in here, but most of the time, the next day you go, that was a great night. Yep. And then by the afternoon, you've forgotten everything. And I found that that was a part of it where I was having like loads and loads of Fridays of my life, basically just not really remembering anything just oh, yeah cool i'm having fun spending loads of money not really doing anything in particular just getting bullied and kind of i don't know wandering about or doing this that or the other and it, it's a weird one it's it's when you get out of it i kind of find it like um with a lot of things like it was eating healthily in a weird way because obviously you look at it and you go why doesn't everyone always eat salad and just eat really nice things all the time because it generally does make you feel better overall but is those 
when you eat fast food or whatever, it's while you're eating the fast food, it feels good, even though you know it's bad mm. for you and it's bad going long. And I was trying to explain this to someone the other day when they um, they said, oh, I don't know why anyone would ever take drugs because obviously the risk and this, that, and the other. Mm. And I was, like, I was like, I know what you're saying, but you drink alcohol. So immediately that is a drug just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not and i was like we know when you have a drink and you know you're on a diet uh you have a drink and then you, there's a part of you that just says nah you can have a burger nah fuck it just go have a big kebab and stuff and most people when they're drunk do have that sort of ah fuck it attitude and i was like what happens a lot of the time is you have a couple of drinks and then someone offers you this that or the other and then you're like ah fuck it i'll just do it even though you know you shouldn't and it but in that moment while doing it it feels good even if the rest of the time make you feel worse and it's a really weird state to be in if you see what i'm saying yeah i mean well i think what you're describing really is what's wrong with the way that drugs are consumed in in britain Hmm. uh, and the way that they're portrayed because that's exactly again it's like the the poster ads against drugs you know i can remember the first time that i took ecstasy and it feeling like a kind of biblical moment in my life. Um, and I'm like, you know, everyone's saying that I shouldn't do this, but yeah, it feels great. I'm having the best night of my life. Yeah. I'm connecting with people in a way I didn't know possible. Um, and really, you know, the fact that it's naughty or wrong or illegal makes it into more of a, a thing, you know, mm-hmm. people would be less interested in doing drugs if they were available from your local shop if you know at a certain age you said listen i I want to experiment with my consciousness you know i want to i want to take things that are going to alter my mental state Uh, and they said okay yeah you can do that it costs this much but by the way because of your age because it's the first time we have a professional person who's going to sort of do it with you who's going to talk to you about it um that that's what I think um, some drugs should be like. Um, certainly LSD for me, that was a, a big changing point in my life. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to have a group of really cool friends and we all dropped together and we did it in a country park that we knew and we felt safe and we went on massive kind of adventures inside our minds. Um, and it was completely safe. We didn't hurt anybody. No one died. And we came down together sort of smoking weed and it really helped us bond. It helped me look at the way that my life was. And, um, but I think ultimately, you know, with drugs, <laughs> drugs get boring after a while and you start to think, why can't I have that in my life without that? Hmm. And, and that, that was what sort of started getting me away from drugs was I started to think, I, I think that this is in me. And the drugs are helping me get to it. So why can't I get to it without the drugs? And that kind of became like a, a challenge or like a quest <laughs> to, yeah. to say, how can, I, how can I be that guy? You know, um, when I used to do cocaine a lot, I used to absolutely, I mean, I was like a WWE wrestler, you know, coming down to the ring. Yeah. That kind of confidence that they have on the way down to the ring. I used to walk into a room and I used to feel like I could, I could talk to anybody and I could just connect in this kind of emotional way with people. But then the next day, you know, I'd be like not looking at the person in the shop, making no eye contact because I'd be like terrified that they might, I might say the wrong thing or they might judge me. Mm-hmm. So I had these huge kind of flip flops and I was like, no, nah, I need to find some balance here. Yeah. And I, I think one of, you know, a point that you touched upon there is that, you know, I've spoken about my opinions on sort of drug reform in the past on this podcast, but my main, my main thing is cannabis should be legal. I, I've not had an argument for it not being legal. I think it's, it's objectively less damaging than alcohol. If you're going to, if someone said to me, well, I want alcohol to be legal and cannabis to be illegal, I'd be like, I disagree. But if you have that sort of hard line that no one should ever be intoxicated, okay, I disagree, but fair enough. But if anyone argues that, yeah, alcohol should be legal and we shouldn't be, then I think they're just a hypocrite and they haven't just... They're more, less a hypocrite, they're more just ignorant and they haven't looked into things more. But then when it comes to the other drugs, it's a bit more of a grey area and it's a bit more, you know, no one... If I said tomorrow, yeah, I want to make meth legal, people would be like, what? <laughs> Are you, what's wrong with you? But then you dial it back and it's like, okay, well, we definitely should be. When, like acid you mentioned, you know, acid is like the, the chances of someone actually taking a fatal dose of acid is insanely small. Uh, same as with mushrooms, is that the the biggest, the main ways, I'm kind of start, starting to say loads of, th- loads of different things at the same time, but basically for all drugs, the risk is 
mostly mostly there due to its legal form at the moment. So I've pitched this kind of rhetorical idea to people before in a sense, which is, you know, if you ask people, do you want heroin to be legal? And people go, or decriminalised. People go, no, it's bad. It's like, okay. First of all, I don't believe drugs are good or bad. They're, you know, kind of like a car. You can murder thousands of people with a car driving through crowds and things, but that doesn't make it bad because it has loads of other good practical uses. And drugs are in a similar way, like alcohol is in that camp. But I'd say is like, would you rather have it so we have as a random number just an example would you rather have 100 heroin addicts in the the city and 50 of them die and 30 of them commit loads of crimes to steal from people or would you rather have say 150 or 200 addicts but five of them die five of them commit crimes and the difference between the two of them being the latter one with more people but less sort of uh, negative things coming out of it could be a way that you'd look at it if it was legal now i don't think legality means everyone's all suddenly going to do loads of drugs and it's going to be a big epidemic but the only argument i've heard against legality truly is that more people would do them and my argument is yeah but people do them anyway and the main reasons people overdose or this that and the other is because they think it's something when it's not you buy it from a dealer you buy a gram of heroin every week or whatever from a dealer constantly doing the same amount and then suddenly he gets a batch that's a lot stronger than you're used to. You take the same amount and then you overdose because your body's used to it. And if you had a regulation system like we have with alcohol, then you wouldn't have that problem, if you see what I mean. I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I mean, fundamentally, it comes down to care. Hmm. And I think, you know, in, in the real meaning of the word care, and we should live in a society where we care for each other and we look after each other. At the moment, the way that the drugs industry works, the illegal drugs and controlled substances, is not set up to care, particularly for young people. Um, you have to, uh, if you're going to do drugs, you know, it's an illegal act. You have to mix with people you might not want to mix with. You're going to go to places you may not want to go. Um, and what you're talking about there, which is harm minimization or harm reduction, to me, that's the wrong way of looking at it there shouldn't be any harm, Mm. you know? Um, I agree that, you know, smack shouldn't be legal. (laughs) Uh, You know, that's, 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 that's a clear one, but um, cannabis from every point of view that you look at it, you know, I don't smoke weed anymore because um, I don't want to, because I don't find it. uh, I don't find that it um, is complementary to my life. I'd find it a negative in my life. But from a scientific point of view, you know, it has a lot of benefits. The problem goes, and I've seen this firsthand in my professional life, is where you get young lads uh, and young women who will sort of try weed and they'll get an extremely strong strain of cannabis and it will absolutely wipe them out. I've seen them go from kind of normal 16, 17-year-olds to drug-induced psychosis. And that's something that they're going to struggle with for a long, long time. Um, if you look at all of the more progressive um, uh, modern places like California and uh, Canada, they're making cannabis legal because it's taxable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a drain on uh, um, in terms of intensive farming for it to be grown. You know, uh, I, I, I'm not an advocate for smoking cannabis. But um, when you compare it to what we have in uh, existence at the moment, it's not careful at the moment. We're not taking care of people, particularly young people that start out with drugs. Because Mm -hmm. me, myself, I started smoking weed and that did lead me to try other things. Um, If I'd grown up in a place where there was a cannabis shop down the road, I probably wouldn't have. Um, That's just my take on it. Mm. yeah it's it's a weird one the whole gateway drug sort of the argument because i think saying anyone who would say weed is or is not a gateway drug is too black and white because the problem that i find is that part of the reason it is kind of a gateway drug is because people are told not as much now it's because obviously with america's media and canada and you know i think places like france portugal decriminalizing it and it's kind of becoming a lot more widespreadly accepted and obviously in england now you can get cbd which is obviously part of um, the cannabis plant but it's uh, not exactly the thing that makes you high because thc makes you high cbd doesn't and you know without getting into all the chemical details of that it's mm. it's one of those things where you are told i remember this when i was in college and i, I was told my entire life you know drug drugs are bad just full stop not 
what drugs are, not that alcohol is a drug, uh, not that, you know, some people can have, you know, epiphanies on mushrooms or LSD or DMT or anything like that or great nights with friends. It's just drugs are bad. And then when I was in a state where one of my friends tried um, smoking cannabis and then I tried it as well because they tried, I was like, this is actually not what you think it's like. And then you do it because I've been essentially lied to my entire life. Then I do it and I go, oh, this is fine. Okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And then someone offered me... Um, you know, something else uh, when I was younger, you know, amphetamine. And it was like, well, I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs, but you can look online, but everything online is all so heavily negative. Then you get really, really drunk. You try it as a one-off, just as, you know, a lack of judgment call, whatever, one once when that happens. And then when well, you've done it and you're like, okay, well, I looked online and read all these things that everyone was saying, if you do speed, it's bad and you won't be able to ever sleep ever. And then your teeth will be chattering and everything will be <laughs> awful and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, some of these things are technically true in some ways, but like you do it and it's like, oh, this is just this thing. And it feels like this. Oh, it's another thing I've been lied to about. And then eventually, especially when you're a teenager, you're a lot less, um, you haven't got the, the, the thing to hold back your impulses as much. So you get more drunk around these people who are doing this, that, and the other, and they offer you other things. And then you're like, well, these other things I tried weren't as bad, even though I've been told they were. And then you do them and it's fine. And, you know, I've done a variety of different things. Um, and, from different sort of groups of the illegal substances and it's they're all very very different but they are all under this blanket of drugs are bad and they're all bad and there's nothing else to them apart from being bad so when you get these young people doing them and they realize oh i did it once when i was drunk and it actually was really cool what else are they lying to me about and then they don't listen to anything else they won't if you tell someone someone something is purely negative they do it and it's not they wouldn't listen to your opinion if you're honest with them and say look it is bad and good because there are bad parts to it and there are good parts to it like they do with alcohol it's it's a lot easier and one other quick thing i will say is when i was in college it was easier for me to get cannabis than it was to get tobacco because tobacco yeah, is regulated yeah. so trying to get tobacco and you're under 18 especially you know when i was in uh, uh, this was like you know mid 2000s um and it was like oh trying to get backy it's impossible. We had to ask people who are older than us or whoever to try and get tobacco. But we'd get weed easy because drug dealers don't ID you. And this mm. is one thing people don't get as well. A lot of the time they're like, drugs are bad. They need to all be illegal and no you know, no budging. It's like, well, kids are going to get drugs. Like when I was in, as I said, when I was in college, I could get weed easily. Getting alcohol and tobacco, that was difficult because it's regulated and controlled by people who can get in trouble if they sell it to you. If a drug dealer is already getting in trouble, they're not going to ID you. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, uh, one one of the episodes, the misadventures of the cocaine kid in mm. uh, days of my life, you know, I was, I was pulled over by the police. I was 14, you know, uh, they strip searched me um and uh you know all, the, all they said to me in the car on the way back to the police station you know they tried to i, I say in the in the show you know they gave me their drugs are bad you shouldn't be doing drugs because they could see i was high um you know and my friends were just taking a piss out of them and saying oh we only inject smack you know <laughs> uh, which they didn't but it was just that blatant kind of who the fuck do you think you're talking to you know we're 14 we're absolutely off our heads it's two o'clock in the morning and you're not more worried about why I'm there and why I'm doing it, giving me this kind of drone message of it's wrong. Hmm. And I think what you're talking about really is a culture. You know, if you think about cannabis as something that you can smoke in a cafe socially and that you can buy and it's acceptable, the image that comes to mind is of reasonable people going into a shop, paying a reasonable price for something that is safely sourced, consuming it safely, and then going about their day. Whereas what you said is similar to me, you know, the key thing was drink loads of beer at college and then do it. And that's the worst possible time to do it is when you're making friendships with people that you don't necessarily know or trust. You don't know what their agendas are. You've got a lot of alcohol, which is often a mind altering substance. And, you know, that's, that's the riskiest time to do it. If we could foster a culture whereby saying okay drugs exist in this world and we can't change that but what we can do is make it as safe for people to do as possible that mm. would be what i would like to see and yeah you know some people were never going to do it and that's cool that is totally cool but there is a hell of a lot of people that will look to go i'm interested in that i want to see what it's like yeah yeah and uh, i could have said a bit myself really it's it's also one of the things that annoys me a lot of the time when people are like um a very strange thing. I don't know if you have it um, with some of the people you associate yourself with, but obviously myself being mid-20s uh, in 2019, almost every person I know my age or even my mum and people like that have been to Amsterdam 
right? You tell people at work, oh yeah, I go to Amsterdam, you know, I've been to Amsterdam and they go, oh, do you, you go over there and smoke weed? I say, yeah, I did. And they're like, ah, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. But then if I went to my work colleagues, oh yeah, I'm not saying I do this, I want to clarify, but like as an example, mm. I was like, if I said, oh yeah, when I get in from work, I don't really drink. I just sometimes have a joint just to kind of chill out. People go, well, you you smoke weed every single day. And it's like, what? If you tell someone, I had a beer every night when I get in from my call, the stereotypical glass of wine with a soap yeah. opera, that's fine. Yeah. No, don't worry about it, guys. You know, it's, it's fine. But wait, no, you, you want to smoke weed by yourself what to chill out after a long hard working day at work how dare you you're disgusting oh no no, i I did in amsterdam oh you got a plane and did it over there oh you did over there it's fine but as soon as you come over here you can't do it yeah yeah and again with the same same thing with um you know doing mushrooms or acid you know Mm. it's completely normal in a lot of cultures for people to go on like vision trips or you've reached an age of maturity where you're going to try and expand your consciousness you know, like me and my friends did it. They were like lifelong friends. We were really safe. We did it in a safe place. We planned it. And it was really cool, you know. But I couldn't tell anyone about it. I couldn't tell, mm. like, my peers and stuff. You know, if I went into a job interview and they said, could you describe a time in your life, you know, when you, you, you made a big change or something really positive? And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Once, me and my friends, we went and we all dropped a bunch of acid. And I felt connected to the universe in this way where I felt safe and that I didn't have to worry and that we were kind of all connected and that I could see this kind of energy. And it really reassured me, you know, I don't think I'm getting that job, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they go, well, okay, that guy's a fruitcake, but that's, that's my truth. You know, that mm. that's my truth that that happened. And, um, and I, I genuinely wish that other people could experience, um, that, that feeling, you know, I would, it was something that I would recommend to people, but, I was lucky. I had friends that were safe and we planned it. And, you know, as we've just illustrated, often it will be someone who's just kind of taking a risk, Mm. you know, and it shouldn't be such a big risk. And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed part one as much as I did. Um, Part two will be out next week where the sort of discussion regarding drug reform and addiction continues. Um, But then we also talk about spiritual and religious beliefs, uh, some of the issues with mainstream's religion. Um, We speak about sort of redemption and we use a couple of extreme examples to try and kind of uh, delve through the grey area that is redemption. You know, it's very easy to forgive someone who stole a loaf of bread to say, their family but if it's someone who killed someone to save their family you know how far does it go before the line of redemption is irredeemable essentially so we speak about that a little bit um we speak about sort of um addicts again as i said it come kind of comes back and forth between drug addicts and and other subject matter it kind of that's a central point to this discussion um we speak about how sort of um one should speak to their children or at least our opinions on how one can talk to their children especially someone like aiden who's had such a past with drugs um some of the issues today with uniqueness and normality the transitional phase that society is in and and loads of other things so that's what you've got to look forward to if you tune in next week as I said before, everyone should tune into the Days of My Life podcast. Um, I've included a link in the description. Uh, it's a really, really cool um, audio drama. Each episode is between like 8 and 15 minutes, so they're really easy in bite-sized chunks. And some of them have some really, really insightful parts to them. So I really recommend people check those out. Uh, as I said, obviously, coming up next week will be part two. After that should be um, probably part one of my chat with uh, a gentleman who is involved with true crime, um, but I can't confirm that until we've had that chat. Um, I've also got a chat due with an author, uh, and then I've got a few more lined up in November with other podcasters and things. So and I may see if I can get Reese or Josh or one of my other mates on because I haven't had a mate on this like a obviously Tony Farina is I'd consider a friend of mine but you know I, I who was a uh, last week but I mean like a long-term friend of mine who lives nearby who I chat with in person because obviously it's listeners may be able to hear the majority of these podcasts are done over um skype or zoom or whatever so the audio quality isn't as high as it is when i'm doing the podcast with people in person but you know that can't be helped anyway i'm rambling as per usual in my outros i ramble on if you're a new listener um this is probably where most people switch off because i just kind of go off on one about random shit essentially um this time i'm not going to too much because girlfriend's at the gym at the moment and i'm going to be doing all my podcasting stuff quick 
quickly uh, just so we can have a day to chill gonna play some video games I recently bought Cell Damage HD on the Switch for like £6 I got Jedi Knight Jedi Outcast um, on the Switch as well for like £8 and we bought Crash Team Racing for 25 quid. so we're just gonna play around with all of those I mean Cell Damage is a game for my youth as is Jedi Knight well obviously Crash Team Racing was as well but see rambling um, if uh, if you really enjoy the show I'd say uh, go back and check out some of my previous episodes um there's a wide variety of things I talk about. You know, I've had other podcasters on. I've had conversations just about movies. I've had ones all about video games. I've had ones with life coaches. I've had other discussions about drugs and things. Uh, there's one quite a while ago, and I think the episode title was something about festivals. I think it was around episode 30-ish, and I speak about some of my opinions on uh, drug reform there as well. So if that's something that interests you, make sure you go back and check out that. Um, I've had so many different people on here now, it's kind of hard to kind of you know generalize, but I've had magistrates from the Church of Satan on. I've had a blind filmmaker called Goff. He's been on twice, um, or technically four times because I've released two separate episodes, part one and part two. You know, I've, I've had so many different guests on there. What I've started saying is, not very many people listen on YouTube, and that's fine. I only put on YouTube just to have another avenue, even they get like two or three listens per video. Um, but what I would say is, on YouTube, I put things into playlists, um, so I kind of organise them. There's ones that are just funny ones, there's ones that are more science-based ones, there are ones that are more movies, ones that are about entrepreneurs and things. So I try and kind of keep them on YouTube in the playlists. So if you're someone who wants to keep listening to genuine chit chat but you're not really interested by everything and you don't want to trawl through every episode and read every single description and things uh then you can do one of two things you can go on youtube and yeah check the playlists uh, or you can message me uh you can contact me on twitter instagram or facebook you can send me a private message or a public one and just say hey listen to the show really like it i really liked this episode and this episode do you have any others that are similar to this or any you'd recommend or even just hit me up and say look i like these five things does your podcast have any of these and you know, I'm, I'm more than happy. I will respond to anyone who gets in contact with me. So yeah, uh, that's it from me, I guess. But yeah, I really appreciate anyone listening to the show. I incredibly, I appreciate even more so anyone who listens this far in because I know that I just go off on one about rubbish stuff. So, I, you know, the fact that anyone wants to listen to me have these uh, conversations with interesting people makes sense because all these people I speak to are far more interesting than I am. But the fact that you'd listen to the end just to see what else I have to say, I, it does mean a lot to me, you know. So um, share on social media if you can. Uh, tell your friends. Find some episodes in the back catalogue. If there's people you know who aren't even into podcasts, maybe Genuine Chit Chat is a good way to get people into them uh because there's such a wide variety of things i'm sure there's an episode for everyone really so um yeah that's gonna be it for me now guys thanks for listening to me ramble and rant on um i'll be back next week with part two for aiden roswell and or aiden roswell and uh pronounce his name badly right at the end nicely done and um yeah thanks guys i really appreciate all of you and uh, i hope you all have great weeks